Hello, pirates. Fire the cannons. I shared on the first episode of The Ship how my life went off the rails after my diabetic diagnosis. I stopped the cycle of day-after-day self-pity by giving myself a bigger question to answer. I turned fear into a search for purpose. At the end of each day, I asked myself, what difference am I trying to make in the world? Over the last three years, I've discovered that answering that question is going to be a journey. You have to keep rowing the boat, exploring with your eyes open for discoveries. One of my answers to that question has served as my North Star for the last three years. Help people, brands, and organizations build communities that add value to a person's life. These next several episodes of the ship, I'm going to share the Pirates for Good field guide. We start by putting your stuff, what makes you you, on the table. Wipe the old rules off and explore new possibilities. It's a new world out there, and we're going to need some brave pirates to help us build a brave new world. Today, we start exploring our ship, a vessel to explore meaningful work and life, a safe space for us to put our values and beliefs on the table, to raise our spyglass, to look at things with fresh eyes, to explore and witness the power of community, to have the courage to walk the plank of the unknown, and to occasionally punch a one-way ticket and think like a pirate. Ready to search for a North Star? All right, let's do this. This is Captain's Journal, Entry 2, The Pirate's Field Guide, The Fight. Why a ship? Communities for change require a sense of space. Ships are living vessels on the sea. Pirate ships were living testaments of true democracy. From voting rights for all to equal divisions of pay, food, and rum, pirate ships were a communal space that were shared by all. Today we have our ships, our coffee shops, our spin and yoga studios, our places of worship, I hope we'll have those back soon. If you want your ship to thrive, you need a crew that shares the same purpose, that believes your purpose is also their purpose, a crew that will embrace your flag as their flag. Finding greatness, the fight of pirates. Pirates, yes, those villains of the seas, those villains stood together to fight the injustices of the day. Oppression, poverty, equal pay, health care, prejudice, slavery. In the spirit of pirates, 
we need to find the courage to walk the plank of the unknown and walk in the footsteps of those you wish to serve, examining your values and beliefs and find what mutually benefits all of us. Before we get started, the first rule is there's no rules. I want you to give yourself permission to explore what could be possible, not confined by your day-to-day realities. My hope is these pirate-inspired explorations will spark discussions and debates aboard your ship. In the end, I want to inspire you to create your own articles of agreement and not just let this turn into another set of exercises that bring nothing of value to life. Let's pull out your notepad, your journal, your post-it notes, grab your favorite pen, pencil, crayon. Are you ready? Ask yourself one simple question. At the end of the day, what difference are you trying to make in the world? Don't filter any of the responses. Instead, I want you to simply jot down whatever comes to mind. After doing so, I want you to toss out any responses that say your fight's purpose is making money. Most pirates have a purpose that extends way beyond the almighty dollar. So what's your fight? Your inspired purpose. It's a simple yet difficult question to answer. I've been trying to answer it for over three years. It requires you to go deep and be vulnerable. You can hit pause and dig into that question right now or continue listening. In the first episode, we met my friend Terry Andreo. Up next, we're jumping back into the conversation with Terry about Jim Button, the owner of Village Brewery, and the Buy a Friend a Beer initiative. I'm not looking for personal gratitude or anything like that. For It's just, here's a great initiative that we were able to participate in with and join in without, you know, recreating it and, and remaking it is, 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 you know, one of the things that Jim says, and you should have Jim on because Jim's Jim, Jim met you at the gathering yeah, as well. Him. But you know, one of the proverbs he talks about is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. Th- those are words we kind of live by because, you know, you can do so much greater impact collectively than you can individually. And I think that's where a lot of the things that we're doing in the new world seem to be going is more collaborative efforts because you can just expand your network so much quicker uh, and you can accomplish so much better and, and so much great good rather than doing it individually. You know, it's hard for some brands to shift from that transactional relationship mindset to a relationship based on good. Jim had an understanding of the greater good and how their product and service fits into that. What Jim had was a community and a desire to spur a community gathering. I think what Jim did was needed and brilliant. I I do too. I I think it's fantastic. And I, I think a lot of companies and a lot of brands can learn from these types of experience because you know, the things that I'm seeing on social media are not good with a lot of companies who are remaining with their product focus or their transactional advertising that exists in the marketplace today. And a lot of the ones that are being picked up put the customer in the center of the conversation rather than themselves. 
and you, you see some great ones. I posted one a, about a week ago from John Deere. And, you know, John Deere is a hugely reputable company worldwide. And their posting was about the people who bring people together and what they're doing right now, including the medical services and the farmers. And they didn't put themselves in the middle of the equation. They put the, you know, their audience base or the, the, the social component of it in the middle of the base. And I think you need to see more of that because, you know, as, as much as you and I are in the advertising industry, pulling your rings apart, being Audi or, you know, the Olympic games is, is not, I mean, it's cool, but it, not speaking volumes to what your brand stands for. Well, there's going to be some lessons coming out of this. There's going to be a different norm moving forward when we all come out of this and we will. Yeah. I think people are going to hold a brand to a different level of accountability. I hope we all learn from this and we ground our communications in a more human centric way. I agree. And it's certainly some of the things that we're seeing, I'm not sure if the patterns are existing in the U S as much as they were seeing it in Canada, but you know, I, I wrote something very quick and I posted it on LinkedIn, I think. And it talked about, there's some trends that are occurring. Like there was a shortage of flour in Canada in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and we went one, this is a problem because we are the world's largest supplier of, of grains and, and barley, and yet we're running short of flour. But, you know, so there was a little bit of a, a shortage, but it's recuperated. But one of the things that's interesting is the return to baking and the amount of searches that are going on online to bake products. And so it's almost a resurgence or a return to our roots, as I coined it. You know, you're starting to see patterns of activities you know, with a shortage of wheat and a shortage of flour and, and, and board games increasing, you know, as we spend more time with it. So you hope that is all leading to the human, human component or the humanity component of it that exists around brands, you know, and, and some of the popular brands are becoming very prevalent that are focused around the return to our roots. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, <laughs> speaking of roots... I have, I have roots, uh, and besides yeah. brand roots in Canada, um, I have roots, and as a child, I grew up, my grandfather telling me stories of pirates. So, of course, I've, I've wove pirates all along. I don't think, when I think when I spoke in Banff, there was no No, there weren't, in that but I think yet. the continuation was, conversations that you and I, I had was, after that is where the pirates came back into play. Yeah, so, so Terry, I'm curious. Okay. After I saw your post and we connected, I sent you the Pirates for Good playbook. I'd yeah. love to know um, what you thought about that. Yeah, I, one, thank you for sharing with me. I really appreciate it. You know, the, the one thing that I noticed evident right at the beginning, this almost seems like a turn back to a, my generation coming out of university, where it was pre-social media, you know, Pre, pre-Instagram, pre-everything, that it was grassroots initiative that you had to put sweat equity into and, and a little bit of hustle. No, in fact, a lot of hustle. And we use that word quite a bit is, I think the people that are succeeding and will succeed put hustle into their game and really understand their, their marketplace and really understand their audience really well. So that's probably the biggest takeaway that I saw, Gino, when I read it, you know, was this is kind of a, a throwback you know, 20 or 30 years of marketing that went back, 
that's really genuine and authentic and you know the the spread of it through friendships and through networks uh, rather than advertising is really what I what I took out of it initially. Well, that's well. Thank you. That's, I hope it wasn't too long of a boring read. It's a. I don't know what it's going to become. What Terry's talking about is is a, I shared with him a pirate explorer's guide, which was made for groups. And after I read Terry's post, it made me go back to the roots of where that came from, and and that was using some of these thoughts and exercises to kind of help me write my path as I was going through my um, my a life and my journey as a, as a diabetic. So what I would love to ask you, and you're the first person I'll have on <laughs> this podcast, is what is Terry's fight? And you could take it from any number of ways. It could be your work fight or your personal fight. I like to think of it at the end of the day, as I sit and reflect, what matters most? And so I, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I would <laughs> love to know, um, you know, you can riff on what's your fight. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, and I think my fight is personal and professional. You know, there's that balance in life. And my wife and I have been married for 31 years. We have four kids. They're all grown up. They're all done their post-secondary education. Uh, but what was interesting about five years ago, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And it's a neurological uh, effect that, you know, is slowly creeping into my life. And when the doctor determined that I had Parkinson's, it was a very simple test. He said, go walk. And, you know, the walk was, and I didn't realize my left hand wasn't moving and my left foot was, you know, dragging just so slightly that within those few minutes, they diagnosed me. And, you know, once he did, my first thought went to my kids not to me. And, you know, so the fight that I live with today is about the legacy that I leave with my kids and the relationship that I leave with my wife. You know, those are the things that I really am focused about. I'm focused about my personal brand and what I represent and what I stand for and what, you know, what I talk about on social media or or public sites, how I present myself. You know, but everything comes back to the legacy that I'll leave with my kids. And there's those constant conversations, you know, I was with my 24-year-old. He just had a birthday the other day and he's one of the ones that still lives at home. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about stuff that we did years ago, like this donut place that we, we went to, you know, and all he remembers is me doing donuts in our suburban in the parking lot. It's not about the donuts. He says, well, mom was in buying the donuts. Dad was doing donuts in the parking lot <laughs> with the four kids in it, you know? So, and I, I kind of reflected on that going, you know, these are the things that my kids are going to remember about me. These are great things, you know, and I want them to hang on to that. So, you know, as we start to build out the legacy, one of the projects I'm working on is a family tree, you know, and this family tree, because we've traveled so much as a unit, you know, our our kids really enjoy spending time with us and they still do, you know, family supper on a Sunday is really important to us. And this COVID thing's putting a damper on our our getting together and and celebrating our, our usual Sunday suppers. 
but this family tree, you know, in traveling, it was like, who are these people and how are they related to them? And why are they calling us uncle and aunt? And so I've got a wall at, uh, in our house that's probably 25 by 30, and I'm turning that wall into the family tree so the, so the people can see and the family can see how we're connected. And rather than having photos stored in a photo album box tucked away in the cellar, they're going to be put on this wall. And I, I think, you know, this is going to help connect the dots for our kids on both sides of the family and over multiple generations. You know, like we've been able to go back five, five generations now with our family tree, but it's going to be kept out in public. And, uh, you know, so the memories, the legacy, everything will be distilled quite nicely and quite openly, you know, so it's a lot more transparent. So hopefully, you know, the goal is for them to continue that as their families grow and as, you know, we get grandchildren into our lives uh, that everybody knows how those pieces of the puzzles go together and those stories can continue. That's great. Well, that's a, you know, having an understanding of your, um, of ethos of your DNA, so to speak, those, the stories that you tell yourself and eventually other people, I think is really, really powerful. It's interesting how, um, our, our fights interconnect. I, I came up with that idea and thought as, as my own, as I was diagnosed as severe diabetic and was starting to have some vision and kidney issues, I, you know, there, there was part of me that wanted to give up. And I know for you, there's probably a lot of self-doubt in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, there was for me. And, and then, you know, my wife told me, she said, I expect you to fight and because that's who you are. Yeah. And and that's what made me reflect back on that. You know, all that ro- all that played a role in me getting my ship right and mm-hmm. I, and I hope the same for you. You know, as you I, I know you know it's it's uh it is a fight every day. I'm you know part of my of this first podcast I talk about empathy. And Terry, I had an empathy gut check when I was diagnosed because I thought I was an empathetic person, mainly because of the work that I did. But I realized that stepping into something that other people had that I didn't have, that all of a sudden I had, uh, I had such a lack of imp- I realized the lack of my empathy for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you face that at all and, I don't know that maybe that was just something that I, that I experienced. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I certainly did. You know, like one of the first things once I'm kind of a rip the bandaid off in telling. So there's my wife who's really empathetic and there's me who is empathetic, but I like to deal with things different than her. And that's why we get along so well is because I am the gas pedal and she is the brake. But you know, one of the things I said to my kids is I don't want to become a poster child for this but I'm more than willing to talk about it and not hide it. And, you know, since then I've, I've joined a a few support groups, ironically, prominently male, you know, but we, we seem to learn from each other. But I think one of the biggest things that I, I learned from this and I always did it, but I much more cognizant of this is, you know, anytime we sign off with friends that we hang out with, I love you, you know, and, being a male playing a 
prominent, a lot of, you know, physical sports like, like, you know, hockey and football, largely, those weren't things, emotions were things that came to the forefront, you know, and I think one of the biggest things that, you know, we, we, we've learned is to always recognize the relationships that we have by, you know, when we sign off, Hey man, I love you. Because it's true, you know, and it's true. And when we're physically together, there's a lot of hugging going on, probably more than we've ever done before, you know, and, you know, some of the friends that are going through the same scenarios that I am, we're probably a lot more connected than we ever have been in an empathetic way. And it's always been there. I think it's just probably been a little bit more escalated than previously and it seems to be a, a, a lot more accepted and a, and a lot more sincere when you do it both sides of the party know it's coming from a good place and 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 not fabricated and i think that's probably one of the biggest things i've, I've learned about this that's great oh that's it's that's i don't know made me I, I started thinking of all kinds of little things while you were saying that i i think you know, I think part of that, Terry, is that you know some, sometimes in in facing challenges in our lives, it it you you either reflect and grow <laughs> from it, and I, and I think those of us that step in to find others that have already been on that journey, and then we end up um, sharing our journey with those that also need it. I think it is is what helps right that ship. I know it did. For me, yeah. my moment came on because I literally had to travel. I mean, within I think a week after my diagnosis, I dropped to 128 pounds, and I'm skinny anyway, but I weighed 128 pounds. I was like a rail, yeah. and I was checking. Uh, there was snacks on the plane flight, and I was still trying to figure out what was carbs. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I, was, I was like, I was. I didn't even know. I mean. I was like, what? That's what I ate, and I yeah. didn't even eat that anymore. And, and I was looking at all the snacks, and the flight attendant said, um, are you a diabetic? And I was like, yes. And she said, uh, after I get through doing this, can I come back and talk to you? And I, should, I said, sure. And she wanted to talk to me about her daughter, who was a juvenile, ju- had, had juvenile diabetes. And I, and I told her, I, I just said, you know, I, I've only been diagnosed for a couple of weeks and I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and, and she said, well, at least you're checking the back of chips. And I see people that don't, and my daughter doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to go through it. And, and I, th- I think for me, one thing that woke me up and kind of gave me a little bit of electric shock is talking to other people and helping them got me out of thinking just about myself and what I was going through. Bingo, a hundred percent. You know, the, the, one of the first things I didn't want to keep it private because I knew that there's a whole bunch of people out there wanting and willing to help. And the more people that I can have conversations with, it's only going to make it better for me and my greater community, you know? So uh, I, that's why I purposely didn't want to hide it. And I'll say I'm a little bit more of a visible individual. I'm out there quite a bit within the community and I didn't want to look like um, I was hiding anything, you know, because my whole life's always been very transparent and, and very, you know, not hiding anything because of, of the personal brand that I always wanted to carry. 
So I made sure that I was talking about and having conversation. But I, a, a few of my good friends are going through the same thing, but they're very quiet about it because they don't want to jeopardize their careers. You know, and I'm going, I'm not sure I would have played that game, but I got to ask you a question. How are you dealing with your diabetes, Gino? And have you noticed anything with your friends? You know, uh, the challenge with diabetes is how I can, I try to make sure I don't make people feel guilty when we're eating together because I, I can't have a dessert. I don't want that to ruin other people having a dessert. And so I, I've learned that, and, and, and it's been a learning progress. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is really learning my body. What um, I, I know that now in, in what we're all facing in quarantine situations, I cannot just sit here eight to 10 hours a day. I can do it. But I used to, because since I've jumped ship and started my own <laughs> ship, I, I, um, about, I work one day a week at a co-op workspace. The other day or two a week, I work from a local bookstore or a coffee shop. And I do that because it gets me out, it gets me up, I can walk around, I make sure I walk the dogs one, one to two times a day, and I have to be really aware of that. So, so, but, but anyway, for me as a, di- as a diabetic, my struggle right now is figuring out how to give to help those in need with it. And uh, I've tried a couple of things, and I've not felt... Like I've done the right thing yet, and I'm, I've got an idea that I'm working on, and we'll see if I can, if I can pull it off. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really drawn to helping children that I can't even imagine how their world is rocked when all of a sudden they're diagnosed as as a type one juvenile diabetic, mm-hmm. and they have to have insulin every day. I, I now I have friends that live with that. And the stories they have told me just rattle me to my bones. And, and Terry, I want to I want to bring that back to you. I had no idea what your fight is, how you're embracing it in such a positive way. That's inspiring to me. It makes me realize too. I still have some work to do on that. So I'm doing <laughs> well. My my diabetes is 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 in check. My numbers are within about one to two points of being not classified as a diabetic. Yeah. But I live through chemistry. I mean, I take three medications a day and, and um, I watch my carbs, something that four years ago, I didn't know what they were. I had no idea. I didn't know that, yeah. you know, what was going on there, but you know, you know, life, life's a journey and we, we can't go back and hate what happens. We've got to pick ourselves up and move forward and live for the people that we care about. Yeah. And that's great. You know, it's good to hear. That's what you're doing. Cool. Like and my next question is about your friendship, because one of the things I noticed when I announced this and this five years ago, I don't think I lost a friend, you know, and, and no one shies away from me. Certainly there's people that are a little bit more, I want to use the word coddle, you know, mm-hmm. Hey Terry, how are you? You know, how are things? And I'm going, 
yeah, I'm okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you, yeah. you, you bounce back from it. But how is your friendship base? Has anybody abandoned you and walked away from you? Or have more attached themselves to you with, with your fight? I'd say my friendships are richer today that are real friendships. Good. That's great to hear. You know, that's a great question. As a diabetic, there's a stigma to mm -hmm. it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a stigma with Parkinson's too. Yeah. Uh, my close friends, they support me a lot. And I've had basically strangers become my friends over this. But the stigma effect, so, some people say, um, you've got diabetes, <laughs> you're skinny. Yeah. Or they just ignore it. So I, I'm curious, though, Terry, about you and your fight and stigma. Do, do you have any thoughts about that, about stigma? Yeah, certainly. You know, I see the world in a different light now that, you know, five years later, because five years later, you know, to see a person in particular with Parkinson and the shaking that Parkinson's brings to a body, I probably look at people a little bit different now, knowing that that's potentially what I have or what I can get or, you know, so the, the stigma about seeing a person with a physical disability from walking or, you know, the, the nerves system, you know, and how it impacts us certainly has played a big deal in, in, in my, my life. I, I'm a little bit cognizant of my left hand because I have dystonia in my left hand. So my left hand doesn't fully function, but you can see something's wrong and you know, previously in the first couple of years, it was like I'd hide behind my wife, not showing my left hand. Now I've learned to live with it and I'm okay with it. And I'm accepting the fact that sometimes I need help because of the deficiencies in my left hand. So yes, stigma plays a big part in the empathetic, you know, and when I look at someone, you know, challenged with the same difficulties that I'm going with, my first thought is, do they, these people have Parkinson's or do they have MS or some neurological issue? So absolutely, Gino, absolutely. Well, Terry, I really appreciate the time you've given me today and sharing your story. A, a lot of people aren't comfortable with doing that, sharing their story, but I think it's going to be helpful to people. In my case, I ran from the symptoms and I don't want people to do what I did, and that's live in denial. The reason I put my diabetes up front on this podcast, I want to get people to pay attention to the symptoms, and if you have them, get help. And Terry, you, you might want the same. Yeah, I do. And one of the things that I learned very quickly Parkinson's or any neurological ones are very much a North American disease. And, you know, and when I got diagnosed, you know, much like you, I've changed my diet because, you know, there's three questions that my neurologist asked me to grow up on a farm and have exposure to well water and chemicals. Yes. Do you play contact sports? Yes. Uh, you know, and, and the third one r related to the water and the, and the chemicals in the ground you know, read back to it. So I kind of went, yes, yes, yes. And then I talked to a friend who said, if you remove gluten and anything that causes inflammation in your diet, 
you will feel better. And going back four years, I've lost about 40 pounds. I feel a ton better. And I think, you know, those are the stories that I share with my friends or people who I think may be encountering the same challenges as I do. So to hear that you've changed your diet is a big thing because that's one of the things that I've learned. But I've, I've learned also that social contact and the will to be still feel that you can contribute is really important in the mental game in any of these challenges. So there's a physical component, there's an empathetical component, but there's a psychological component of still feeling that you can contribute to society and that you're part of a community. And I think those are big part for anybody going through any challenge, whether it's cancer, you know, neurological, diabetes, you know, people want to still feel that they're part of the big game. And I, I think that's what my crusade is going to be moving forward. Hey, that's great. Well, I just want to say thank you for being a pirate for good. Thank you. Being out there and, and for spending some time on, on this, the ship. You'll be, this might be the first podcast. I don't know. If, if I get through with the introduction podcast, my, my goal is to sit down and take people through what you saw, which was moder- uh, kind of a, uh, a small version of the fight, but I'm actually going to open it up and sit down. Then I want to try to see if people will come on and share their fights like you just did. And, and I, you know, I hope, and then from there I'll go into the code, which is, and maybe that's what's one thing I can bring you back in and talk about your personal brand, which is fits into the code, which is, and maybe yours doesn't fit that way, but I try to get people to go through, put their values on the table what do they always value? What do they never value? And that will change over time. Yeah. You know, my values shifted dramatically four years ago, and they continue to shift. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my, my personal brand all stems from values that I learned very, very early in life through sports. Mm. So I'd love to share it with you. But uh, yeah. I, I love what you did five years ago, and that's why I oh, purposely kept in, in connection with you, Gino. Uh, I love you. <laughs> ah, love you back you, you know and i appreciate you having me i, I really do and I'd, I'd love to continue the conversation with you well i wish we could do i've got it i've got it on my wall it's something to remind me is that who needs a hug today yes. you know we probably all do yeah we can't get many but um i think it's great you talked about hugs and so i think pirates for good can hug each other so I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hold steadfast and we'll talk again. Sounds good. And you do the same, Gino. Okay. Thank you. Stay healthy. You too. You too. Cheers, man. Cheers. Bye-bye. I need a deep breath after that. I struggled with editing my interview with Terry. In the end, I decided to just live with its rawness, including my stutters, stumbles. Hopefully I'm going to get better about that in the future. I hope the fight shared by Terry and myself can help you with your fight. In the very near future, I will make the Pirates for Good field guide available for download. As we wrap this episode, if you have any comments, suggestions, or you just want to chat, hit me up at gino at com. So a quote, mate, if you choose to lock your heart away, you lose it forever. Jack Sparrow.
Until next time, be safe, be bold, be courageous. This is your captain and pirate, Gino Church.